Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I am so happy to be talking with Jonathan Larson, Managing Editor at the Young Turks Network. So welcome, Jonathan, to the Mindship Podcast. Thanks so much. Uh, as I was saying, I'm so excited to be talking to you because I saw your article. I think I might have followed you on Twitter because you've been doing a lot of research for this on this series on the family. And so that's right up my street because I'm coming from Dominion Theology, Christian Reconstructionism, uh, of course, Jeff Charlotte series on the family. So I'm really interested to hear about your research uh okay well yeah let me know what you want to hear i'm flattered and, and uh I, you know being in the same company as jeff charlotte is a, is a very gracious thing to even that's be true unfortunately i haven't had a chance to interview jeff charlotte yeah he's, he's kind of a white whale i think when it comes to interviews you know i've chased him up but he's too busy he doesn't give out many interviews but he, i have to credit him for from my point of view as I was saying earlier, I started watching that series, The Family, when it came out on Netflix about, when was it, three, four years ago, and I come out of the background of theology myself as an ex-evangelical. I taught theology at a Bible college. I taught Bible and all that for a long time. I was a pastor, but I'd never heard of Dominion Theology, and that's what got me started because he talked about that in the series with The Family. So what was it that led you into researching The Family? So uh, honestly, uh, so I'm, I'm actually, uh, I like to joke that everyone, I, like everyone, I was born an atheist. Mm -hmm. um, I just never got inculcated into a religion. I, and I studied under a professor who's well known in, in the atheist circles and all that. But, but weirdly, my atheism is not what led me to the family. If you remember uh, back in the Maria Butina days, the FBI was putting out all this information about lobbyists and who they were meeting with and Maria Butina and all these kinds of things. And so as investigative journalists, myself and, and Ken Klippenstein, who was with TYT at the time, he's now at The Intercept, we began just looking into some of the travel records around some of these folks and saw that the Fellowship Foundation, which is the, the legal entity that's the, 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 the name they call themselves, uh, the family, that the Fellowship Foundation was sponsoring a fair amount of this travel with, uh, that involved um, hard right members of Congress like Bob Aderholt, but also involved meetings with hard right people in Europe. And it, mm. it seemed like you know, that was worth looking into. And so that was sort of how we we began down the road. And as I'm sure you're aware, there's, it's like a basket full of onions. Any, any one you pick up, you peel it and there's going to be something else going on underneath. Mm -hmm. I've been following with great interest, your series on the TYT network. You've done, I don't know what, three, four, five articles on the family so far as we're as doing this, recording. this series. Yeah. This yes. month we've done five stories this month on a variety of Pretty broad range, actually. Uh, mm. Prior to that, though, we did earlier this year, I did some reporting on how insiders at the family, and so, including one of their biggest donors, were backing after Election Day. They were donating to politicians who were out there um, pushing the big lie that, that the election was stolen. Mm. And so that's kind of what led me back into back into this realm this time around. So there's there's been on and off reporting for a number of years now, but this this series that we started this month, that's actually based on new documents that we've obtained, including the invitation list for the 2016 National Prayer Breakfast, which is sort of like this incredible mother load because it's literally their entire network. Uh, it identifies who's doing the inviting so we can actually see, oh, it's not Congress at all. Don't believe the hype. Mm -hmm. You know, the letterheads that go out have the names of members of Congress on the on the masthead. They have no idea who's being invited, even though it's being done in their name. 
now we know who are the people who are actually doing the inviting, which means we can find out who they are and we can start to get a glimpse of what is this event really, because it's not what we've been told. Mm -hmm. So what we do know about the family, as you say, the National Prayer Breakfast, which is held every February, isn't it, in Washington, D.C., that's the only, as far as I'm aware, the only actual public event that where we see sort of the face of the family. Isn't that right? Well, it's it's the only event that sort of has a public profile, mm -hmm. but they don't appear on camera. It's, right. it's, it's um, you'll see the president, you may see a speech from Pelosi or someone like that, and you'll see, you know, uh, Chris Coons, perhaps. He's one of the few Democrats who's still sort of supporting this. And, and you'll see, you know, maybe uh, Mulanar, Boozman, one of the Democratic, uh, excuse me, Republican leaders. But the people who aren't in Congress, the people who are actually running the show, they don't actually tend to, to be on camera at this thing. But yes, to, the answer to your question is, this is the only event that has sort of uh, any kind of public profile whatsoever. But again, as I was saying, like, even though it's a public event, and even though it's done with the imprimatur of Congress and the mm. president's participation, we don't get to know who's even invited to this thing, which is mm -hmm. kind of nuts. I mean, if the White House holds a state dinner, they release a list of who's invited. Why, why not to this? If Congress is really running it, which is what they say, but which isn't true, you would think they would make it public. And if they're not running it, why are they acting like they're running it? Mm. And that's the thing is I'm, I went through Jeff Charlotte's book, C Street, which I, I don't know if you've read that as well, but it's an interesting read because he goes into some of the sort of the MO. <laughs> You've got both of them right there. Yeah, C Street I have and both the of them on my desktop, yeah. I went through the Audible version. And what struck me about C Street after watching the family was that, as what he said, it's all about secrecy with the family. Isn't they are, they are, they're intentionally invisible. They don't want people knowing what they're doing, who they're meeting with, where their funding comes from. And so they could they could send a member of Congress to a foreign country, for example, even on congressional letterhead with an invitation. And yet somehow that's all how the family operates. It's all about networking. It's all about relationships. And it's all done uh, under this kind of a smoke and mirrors approach, isn't it? Well, it's interesting because it's not, as you say, it's all about relationships. And that reading Jeff's books, Jeff Charlotte's books, I got that, but I didn't really get it until... I started looking into the people whose names were on these documents that I've obtained because in doing so, and in speaking to some sources I have, I began to see that, that in a lot of ways, the fellowship foundation, the family, if you want to call it, that is, is actually not as sort of methodical and strategic as you might expect if you were envisioning sort of a, a James Bond group of master villains. Yeah, Dr. Evil. Manipula yeah, manipulating <laughs> things behind the scenes. That's really not the sense that I get whatsoever. And so to your point about transparency, some of them actually are transparent. Like some of them will say on their websites, I'm an associate for the, for the they, they often say the International Foundation, mm -hmm. which is another of the names that they go by. But so some of them are quite open about their affiliation, but they've never had they've never had a national spotlight shined on them, and they've never had the public be aware of who they got to invite to the national prayer breakfast. So they're not quite as secretive as you would expect if they were like deep CIA, mm -hmm. you know, level covert ops or anything like that. They're not even necessarily thinking about this stuff. It's just about these relationships. And and just as a quick aside, like I've really worked hard to try to identify some of these people who work for it. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they literally, the way it works is they have dozens of some something like 60 or maybe more people who are associates with the Fellowship Foundation. And what that means is they're out in Oregon or something like that. And they have relationships with people who support their work. And they support their work by sending money to the Fellowship Foundation, which sort of serves as a, an administrative uh, clearinghouse, right? We'll handle the paperwork, you know, we'll handle the, the tax documents for your exemptions that come with travel, you know, all that kind of BS that no one likes to have to deal with. But they're not, they're not strategic about having those people 
pursue some grand mission other Mm -hmm. than keep building relationships. But I think that's where that dominionist piece comes in, isn't it? When what struck me about C Street was like, for example, he describes their efforts in Africa. They've done a lot of in in inroad, made a lot of inroads into places in Africa, Uganda, for example, a lot of it around the anti-LGBTQ agenda, as well as Romania. And the thing was that, okay, the idea is we want to influence high level people. That's the key to how they operate, isn't it? So they'll talk with a prime minister, they'll go after a president, they'll go after a general or a high ranking military officer or a, a wealthy business person with the, with the aim of winning that person to Christ, or at least influencing them with their kind of biblical values in air quotes, so that they have that sort of theocratic dominionist vision. That's what struck me about uh, the family in C Street. Have you come across anything sort of in that line in your research? Well, so it's, it's interesting because I've done a lot of reading of the things they have to say about themselves Mm -hmm. online and about their work. And, and, as I said, they really do seem focused on not necessarily influencing specific policy, but building those relationships based on, you know, acceptance of Jesus as your savior, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. What, what kind of turned me around a little bit is uh, some of the reporting I did on Michael Lindell, the MyPillow guy. From TV mm-hmm. Trump yeah, Star. I read that one. And what was interesting to me was that they weren't, they haven't really pushed specific policies on Lindell, but what they did was they, if you read, if you read the stories, which you said you've had, mm-hmm. they radicalized him in terms of accepting this very uh, biblical based, although a lot of people would argue it's not really biblical. Yeah. Based. yeah. It's their um, version of it, their interpretation. Their it. Right. Their interpretation that, that, but more importantly, the idea that you have a specific personal relationship with God. And therefore, if you wake up at midnight and you decide, you know what, I, I've got a hankering for yodels, that's God leading you to eat yodels, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And so there's, there's no check on your impulses. It's just, if you want, that's God leading you down that path. And they, the people they pick are people who are inclined towards these authoritarian theocratic mindsets where they just their belief in god is such that it's it's whatever you want to do that's basically okay Mm. there was an interesting there was an interesting anecdote in the washington post from back in the very early 90s i think where uh lee atwater the famous republican operative i believe this was after he knew he was dying and he was speaking with doug coe who was the leader of the family for decades until his Mm -hmm. death i think in 2017 and Outwater basically says, so adultery is wrong, right? I just want to be clear that I should not do this thing that I'm thinking about. <laughs> and and Co like demurs. He doesn't, mm. he doesn't say, yeah, of course you should not Shouldn't be cheat doing on this. your partner. Right, yeah. right. And and in the in the Washington Post account of this, Outwater has to like really push to get Co even to take that position. So I don't think it's necessarily that they, in Uganda, for instance, that they wanted a specific legislative approach to the LGBT community there. I think they teach that the Bible is right. The Bible says marriage is man and a woman. The Bible says no abortion. The Bible says woman is subordinate to the man. And so if you tell that someone, that to someone, and they actually believe it to be true, if something is against God, why wouldn't you take the most maximal extreme steps to defeat that? And if that means killing LGBTQ people, well, then let's make that a law. Yeah, that's it. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? There's something, again, that Jeff Charlotte talks about in C Street, the idea of, you know, this accountability, which is a big part of that whole idea. Live, you live in the same house. So we've mm-hmm. had Republicans and, and Democratic uh, leaders living together in the C Street house in Washington, D.C. And then there's been several high profile guys that were caught having affairs, <laughs> you know, right. congressmen, right. senators, and they kind of got a pass. And the idea is if the, if it's that theocratic vision, you're accomplishing amazing, wonderful things for God. The little peccadillos don't really matter that much in a way because you're still 
achieving great things. And I think some of that was the, we saw that with the Trump as Cyrus trope, you know, he's, we know he's a flawed character. However, God's using him in a mighty way. So we can, we can put up with all of his lying and, you know, bullying and, and all the rest of it yeah. because he's doing great things for God. He's advancing the kingdom. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. There is, there is an interesting sort of inconsistency there mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I had one source tell me about, you know, gave an example of when we talk about accountability with the, with the fellowship foundation and it's various, they call them, you know, ministering to power, right? Mm-hmm. You want to go out there and you want to form a relationship with people in power and support them and mm-hmm. minister to them, all of which are in theory, laudable goals. However, in a lot of cases, these people have no training to, to do anything like this. And when it comes to holding these, the, the people in power accountable, the example I was given was, yeah, they will hold people accountable, but it's more like things like, you know, hey, you've got to spend more time with your wife rather than, hey, you really shouldn't be inciting attacks on the United States Capitol. Mm-hmm. Big difference. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah. one, one matters in a systemic way and one is just, mm-hmm. you know, an individual personal relationship. And mm-hmm. that's, that's their thing is that, you know, and to some extent, it's, it's funny because I actually, this is a thing that Republicans have criticized Democrats for is, you know, you can't negotiate with terrorists, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought, well, that's ridiculous. Who are you supposed to negotiate with? Like right. do-gooders, good Samaritans? Right. What's the point of that, right? Mm-hmm. The whole point of diplomacy and negotiation is to get bad actors to act better, right? So that's it. To, to, that perp- to that end, I, I actually am sympathetic to the Fellowship Foundation's point that, mm-hmm. you know, we invite some of the worst people in the world to the breakfast. Of course, part of the problem that just because someone believes in Jesus doesn't mean they're a good person. C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. one of the great points has in mere Christianity is that Christian does not equal good. Mm-hmm. Mere, that's your, that's your faith. That's not a statement about your um, and, and of course, Christianity teaches that we were all born with sin in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, so what are we talking about? The real problem Fellowship Foundation inviting enemies is that based on what we're finding in our reporting, they're not actually inviting all enemies, right? Mm. They're inviting far-right dictators and extremists, mm-hmm. but they're not inviting their political enemies, right? Where are the AQ leaders? I thought you invited leaders from... Mm-hmm. Supposed to be inclusive. Yeah. I mean, if you want to reconcile, how come you're not reconciling with the gay folks right. or the people who support uh, reproductive rights? Why aren't you reconciling with them? It's kind of messed up that the only people you're interested in reconciling with, the only, quote unquote, bad people you're interested in reconciling with are right wing theocratic dictators mm-hmm. who, who have it in for uh, a lot of times women and their bodily autonomy and their legal rights. And also, of course, the LGBTQ communities mm-hmm. seem to fit a profile. Well, and we yeah. know what what the way it works because they've got they they characterize it. They've got the clout of the U.S. government behind them. These dictators and people like you're describing, they know that these people from the fellowship or the family they can turn the taps on in terms of foreign aid to their country. That's part of the package, the sweetheart deal. I think where they say, "Look, if you accept Jesus or at least admit that Jesus had some good things to say," as you were talking about we can get you some foreign aid because we've we're senators and congress people you know we know the right committees we know the right people and that's the sort of veiled implicit message behind we've got the clout of the u.s government at our back and so kind of knuckle under in a way and yeah i'll 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 accept jesus (laughs) if it means i get foreign aid that i can turn around and spend you know on on weapons to suppress the the rebels in my country that seems to be the way it works and and to your point, no one even has to think any of that consciously, and the dynamic will still emerge, right? right. A missionary, quote unquote, in air who, quotes. who knock, knocks on the door at the um, at the palace and mm-hmm. says, "I'm from the National Prayer Breakfast," mm-hmm. and immediately people know, oh, okay. At a minimum, this person has the ear of someone in Congress. Exactly. So yeah, of course, come on in, and then you're off to the races. Now the relationship mm-hmm. building begins, and and. Pretty soon you're on the phone with Jim Inhofe, you know? Exactly. So, 
And, and look, there are definitely cases where relief aid or military aid mm-hmm. seem to have arisen out of exactly. these relationships, even if there's, and, and my guess is most of the time there is no ex- explicit quid pro quo. And most, and my guess is most of the missionaries knocking on those palace doors are not doing so with the intent of, you know, getting military aid for this person or anything like that. That said, one thing I did come across with uh, in the course of reporting on the Mike Lindell story was, as I mentioned earlier, some of these people, they're doing their own fundraising, right? And so the point of the breakfast is supposed to be to sort of cement and be a celebration of the relationships that you've built, right? And those relationships that you built also happen to be the source of your bread and butter. Mm -hmm. However, if you're not great at building those relationships, or if you really like bread and butter, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you might want more of them. And you've got tickets to the National Prayer Breakfast. Mm -hmm. You can go out and find a rich person. And instead of using the breakfast to celebrate a relationship, you use the breakfast to start a relationship, or Mm -hmm. at least you hope to. So it's not as overt as selling tickets to the National Prayer Breakfast, but it's not super different in terms of, uh, you know, the, the moral bargaining going on there. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how you end up with, you know, people like Mike Lindell coming in the door. The, f- the folks who brought him in, there was no longstanding relationship there beforehand. Mm-hmm. They did have a relationship with uh, the Christian actor, Stephen Baldwin. But within short order of Michael of Mike Lindell being brought in, all of a sudden he had a number of relationships with people in the family and they were instrumental in radicalizing him religiously and politically. When we return from the break in this conversation with Jonathan Larson from the TYT Network, we're going to get into even more looking at this issue of Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy. How was he radicalized by the family? And how has that affected his spreading of Trump's big lie and all that? We're going to get into that and more when we come back. But before we get on with that, I wanted to tell you what is coming up here in the next little bit here on Mindship Podcast. I have got a scheduled interview coming up with Dr. Jessica Johnson. I actually heard her name on the Mars Hill Christianity Today podcast, the one that's supposedly doing a takedown of the Driscoll cult of personality. Well, she wrote a book called Biblical Porn, Affect, Labor, and Pastor Mark Driscoll's Evangelical Empire. She was just on the Straight White Jesus podcast, if you've caught that interview with her. But I wanted to interview her about this book that she wrote and how exactly it relates to her sort of sociological and actually in-person study of Mars Hill Church. She was actually a student at the University of Washington, which, if you know the area, was not all that far from the Mars Hill Ballard campus, about 15-minute drive. You're right there. So she did a lot of in-person research, talked to loads of people that were members of Mars Hill Church at the time, and wrote a really fantastic book. And so I wanted to compare what her storyline was her view on the whole situation, especially in light of a lot of the comments that are flying around on social media about the Christianity Today podcast about Mars Hill. I've already done one with Dr. Warren Throckmorton a while ago, if you caught that, but I'm really interested to keep drilling down into this thing. I think Christianity Today is missing a lot of stuff. Of course, they're coming from an evangelical perspective, and they're not they're not letting people speak who really, the voices need to be heard. So, Jessica Johnson should be one of those voices for sure. They only gave her a short little blurb in that podcast. So really looking forward to talking to her. Then I'm also going to be talking to Peter Montgomery from the Right Wing Watch. He's been on a break for a while. He's had a lot of stuff going down in his personal life, but he's back in the game now. We are going to be doing a chat about the Texas abortion law and what's going on there. He's done a lot of research sort of you know, finding out the backstory behind what has, you know, given rise to this law, what's the story there, and it's how it's impacting other states. We're seeing now in the news, as I'm doing this recording right now, that the state of Kentucky is about to have a case go all the way to the Supreme Court. They're trying to ban a certain abortion procedure, and the whole story here seems to be that 
the Christian right, the Republican Party, they're on this mission to slowly chip away at the legality of abortion state by state by state. And of course, Texas right now is kind of the landmark case, but Kentucky is another one coming up. And a lot of other states, I should say Republican-led states, they are looking very, very closely at these test cases, as it were. And that's really how you have to think about it. These are test cases. They're trying the legislation out. They're seeing if it'll pass. And of course, they're hoping and praying, really, in their case, that it will go all the way to the Supreme Court because they know that Donald Trump has installed a, a conservative majority with the last three judges that he appointed. So this is what's going on here. They're forcing this issue all the way to the Supreme Court. So their ultimate aim, of course, is to overturn Roe versus Wade and return America to a quote-unquote Christian nation. So that's what's coming up. we got a really couple of really fantastic episodes coming up. And then I'll mention, too, if you're a Patreon supporter of the show, one of the fantastic benefits is that you'll have access to our monthly MindShift Zoom calls. Last month, we had David Johnson, formerly of the Skeptics and Seekers podcast. This month, in the month of October, we have returning guest Frank Schaefer coming in on the 24th of October. We're going to be talking about his brand new book, as well as, I'm sure, a load of other stuff. And then, in the month of November, we've got Jonathan Larson from this conversation now he's going to be coming in in the month of november we're going to be talking about his research on the family so i'm really excited to have jonathan come back and meet the people in our closed facebook group so if you're a patreon supporter of the show this is one of the fantastic benefits that you get as well as access to our monthly patrons only call which we just had a week or so ago so that's it that's what you can get as a benefit for being a patreon supporter of the show all right let's get on back into this chat with jonathan larson as we take a deep dive into the family his research what he's uncovered the new information that's come to light as we continue to look at how the family is advancing a dominionist agenda and i'm, I'm so thankful that jonathan larson and his team are doing the work they're doing so let's finish this conversation about mike lindell and see where else it leads us Yeah, I read your article on Mandel with a lot of interest because, of course, everyone knows who he is right now in the sense last since the election, I guess. Yeah. And in a way, what I thought when I read your article about that was he, he wasn't radicalized before he was associated with the family, the prayer breakfast. And in a way, he's kind of like a whale. I thought, you know, he's like, here's a guy who's worth a lot of money. He's a billionaire, isn't he? He's got lots of money. He's a success on terms of in terms of his, you know, my pillow organization. So they kind of went strategically after him. I felt like after, you know, that's reading through your article, that's the sense I got. We landed a big whale here. This guy's worth billions. And now look at him, you know, he's spreading Trump's big lie and he's all over the place, flying all over the country. And if it wasn't for the family, it wouldn't have happened. Oh yeah. He's a millionaire. He's not a billionaire. I I don't think he's sold. (laughs) Maybe not anymore. Dollars worth of pillows yet. No, (laughs) he sold a lot of pillows, man. He has sold a lot of pillows. Dominion voting machines have sued him, him and Sidney Powell and some of the others for what? $1.6 billion lawsuit. So if, if that goes through, it could bankrupt him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And just, I mean, I'm not a legal expert or anything, but if I had to choose to be one of the two parties in that lawsuit, it would not be Mike Lindell. No. Yeah, he's an absolute, he's a loon. I mean, he's out there tr- trumpeting conspiracy theories and all the rest of it. And as you point out in the article, that was all at the sort of the doing of the family initially. That's what brought him in. He wasn't really an evangelical Christian before he started associating with the family, as I understand it. He was not. He was not. So what and, changed and look, for Mike Lindell? There's an, there's an interesting way there's two different ways you can look at this right if in the sort of most benign interpretation he's a victim Mm. this does not seem to be an especially astute person um i've had to transcribe a number of statements from him and it's very hard to go back into those transcripts and and identify oh this is a discreet sentence that starts (laughs) with one thought and then finishes it logically. Wow, that's it's like a Trump word salad. It's it's. I would say it's even worse than Trump. Trump, I think, <laughs> oh, seems generally capable of of finishing a thought. This guy seems he's utterly, all over the shop, utterly un un unmoored, and it, it doesn't seem it, it, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. I think to to say that he got took. 
Mm. Right. We've we've seen that in multiple circumstances. Salon has done some reporting on some of the cyber experts. Right. The the, mm-hmm. the so-called election security experts and the money right. they've made off of off of Lindell. So there is some precedent, I think, for the idea that this is a guy you can sell him stuff and then get take his money. And one of the board members of the family of the Fellowship Foundation actually uh, brought Lindell on as a client shortly after the National Prayer mm. Breakfast. One of the family insiders who actually invited Lindell, he ended up on the board of Lindell's charity and was making, I think, $55,000 a year. I think it was only for five, mm. five hours of work uh, a week uh, in 2017. He disappeared then af- after that. So I don't know exactly what happened there. But And, and of course, well, I don't need to go into all the details. Mm-hmm. You, read, you read the piece. and Yeah, he's kind of a useful idiot in that sense, like you would say. Maybe, maybe. In which case, <laughs> you know, I, I genuinely feel bad for him. This is a person mm-hmm. who clearly believes, and I've watched a fair number of interviews. This is not, I don't think he's a con man. Yeah, he think, truly believes it. I think he truly believes every word that comes out of his mouth, even if he truly believed a different word five minutes before. Um, yeah. That's how I think you know, head full of broken glass there, right? I don't know it's what true. crack does to your brain, but... <laughs> doesn't I mean, help. He, he literally, yeah, probably does not Won't help. turn you into a smarter person, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, and he has talked about literally being on crack for... Yep. for a, uh, He was know, a crack a, addict. Time. He was. And and so if, if this guy is someone who wants to do good, which I believe he is, and has the resources to do good, and believes the people around him when they tell him this is what you should do, even in the broadest sense. Mm-hmm. And then they say, you know, God is leading you to use your platform. Well, yeah. if the election was stolen, then of course you're going to act like this. Yeah, he's on a crusade now, isn't he? He's, every piece of evidence that's been refuted, he's got 10 more that, you know, it's going to prove categorically that the election was stolen. Everything he's been taught is that it's all about feeling. You mm-hmm. feel Jesus in your heart. You're led to do this. It's, it's an overtly anti-intellectual mindset that he's been brought into. So, of course, the, any fact is going to have no, no way to compete against that because you can just declare that fact. Not even It doesn't even have to be wrong. You, you can just decide that that's missing a broader context. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, he's smart enough to be able to come up with justifications for it, especially when you don't have to remember whatever you believe five minutes. Ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, what does the family get out of a guy like Mike Lundell aside from money? Is it just about the money cynically? Or are they just after his millions or billions, whatever he's got left? I think it's really important not to think of them in monolithic terms. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of autonomy among these folks. And there's no sort of, like I said before, there's no central strategic committee deciding, you know, okay, it's time to implement stage 4a of the mike lindell plan right that's i do not have any reason to believe that's the case what i think they want is to bring people to jesus Mm. and their vision of that is conservative it's theocratic and and once you once you layer those ideologies together and put someone in our current political ecosphere then you're going to get a lot of the things we've seen from Lindell and others, right? Those mm-hmm. are not, those are actually logical ways to be if you accept the craziness as your as the beginning point of your logic, right? Mm-hmm. In log- and you learn in logic that if you can believe two conflicting things are true, if you can prove that two conflicting things are true, then anything is possible. So why wouldn't it be the case that God has decided, I want a pillow salesman to do my work on earth? Sure. Why not? Yeah. Well, and I think going back to the point about the dominionist piece, I, I think that's where I see the dominionist angle coming in, because this is something that Conway and Siegelman talked about in their book, Holy Terror. I don't know if you've read it, but it came out in 1980, 81. And they noticed in terms of missions, this was about the time that Youth with a Mission and Campus Crusade for Christ kind of exploded. And there was a kind of a sea change. And they said, you know, we've noticed that instead of just going after the sort of individual average everyday person in these foreign countries, there was a change where they started going after the high ranking people The you know, like I was talking about earlier, the the congressmen, the senators, the prime ministers, the presidents, 
the generals, the high military, high ranking military officers, the businessmen. And it was like, if you could win the people at the top, they'll have far more influence over that society or that country or that city than the average individual person on the street. So a Mike Lindell fits into that sort of that strategy, I think, go after him because he look at the platform he can have with just his money alone. He's had a huge influence. Yeah. And that's that dominionist sort of strategic angle, I think. Which has also been a fellowship foundation. Yeah, and obviously exactly. they're related to, they have affiliations with Campus Crusade for Christ and all these organizations. Yes. There are a lot of, the fellowship foundation doesn't have a lot of any one thing, but it has a little of a lot of things. Um, yeah. So you can find people with young life affiliations who are in the fellowship foundation crew. They call themselves now mm-hmm. Campus Crusade is now crew. But certainly the Fellowship Foundation has what, what Charlotte talks about as that, that key man approach. Exactly. Right. Let's focus on the, the, the key men. And yeah, I mean, to their credit, seems to be working. Exactly. Well, and that's, that's the strategy, isn't it? If you get the top men, you win the top people for Christ or influence them. And now going back into the history of it, it was Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright, who were the founders of YWAM and crew. Now, can't the Krampus Crusade, but now crew, they were the ones that articulated what what's called the Seven Mountains Mandate in terms of Dominion theology. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's ba- their argument is basically that society is div- divided up into seven sort of mountains or spheres of influence, like government, arts and entertainment, media, education, so on and so forth. We have to win the top influencers on each of those seven mountains. Right. If right. we can do that, yeah. we'll we'll have some sort of theocratic kingdom. Will right. usher in the kingdom, and so right. you, I think you can slot that kind of thinking into what we're talking about. Well, definitely the invitation list. You can see the the on the horizon. You can see mm-hmm. those seven mountains, right? There yeah. are military people in there. There are Hollywood people in there. Exactly. Um, uh, I would say Hollywood is probably the closest you get to the <laughs> arts. Um, yeah, celebrities. And, uh, celebrities um uh business 100 business mm-hmm. for sure uh and obviously politicians but but certainly one of the things that that was troubling about what jeff charlotte wrote about and that we we're going to be reporting on is just how many spheres the fellowship foundation has been able to get into where the average person i think views those as secular spheres right mm-hmm. there are there are chaplaincies, right, in the military, in state legislatures, state legislatures, mm-hmm. as well as the United States Congress. And I think, I think a lot of people sort of assume that those are secular spheres, but not only are they not secular spheres, uh, but the Fellowship Foundation has its, its footprint, maybe not always in visible light, but its footprint mm-hmm. can be discerned there if you've got if you know what you're looking for, at least in some of them, not, I don't want to suggest in all of them, but yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the danger I think is that we don't know who they're meeting with. We don't know in many ways what their agenda is. And it seems to me that's, that's the big piece of your reporting now, isn't it? That you've gotten a hold of that invitation list. That wasn't something that was widely known before. It wasn't known at all. Was it? We didn't know who they were inviting. You could see the people at the prayer breakfast, but There's thousands of people who, whose names we just didn't know. Where? How did you obtain this list? I'm I'm not at liberty to say. Okay, right. You have to protect your sources, huh? Uh, well, I'm not. I I, I don't I even. I'm not even going to disclose whether it's from a source or yeah. Some how other how you obtained it. Right. it? Really doesn't matter. We have it now. That's the key, isn't it? Well, um, and yeah. in terms of you know questioning whether it's authentic or not, I yeah. I. I gave the Fellowship Foundation an opportunity before we published to dispute its authenticity, and they they did not respond. So, mm. and and the the I've been working on this for months along with a couple of folks on my team, and nothing on this list has not panned out. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's forty four thousand names long, and wow. you you throw a you throw a dart at the list. And you hit a name and you look it up and sure enough, it matches what's in there and it you can find the signs of this sort of evangelical ties or, or what have you. So if someone actually went to the trouble of, you know, faking this or whatever, 
they had to do a hell of a lot of work for the and 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 right. And even if it is fake, you're still achieving the same ends as if it were true. Because Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, what for instance, it it will identify someone as an associate of the Fellowship Foundation. Mm -hmm. Then I go look them up online, and you find their profile on their website or whatever, and it says. I'm with the Fellowship Foundation. Right. Like you I said, they're the not necessarily secretive of it, but that also confirms, yeah, okay, it's really, it's really real, or at least they're claiming that in, in the public sphere. So yeah, I have, I have um, tons of reason to be confident in the authenticity of this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kind of like the Steele dossier, wasn't it? <laughs> they, they said it wasn't true, but a lot of the things lined up in that thing. Maybe not everything, but man, a lot of it did. So this, this I, I list think is hugely more like a Rosetta Stone, but yeah, I hope so. Yeah. That's kind of you to say, I hope so. And I, I think it will be. Um, a lot of that is on my shoulders now, I guess, to mm. do the kind of reporting that will make that clear. It, the challenge that I'm facing is it's very tough to take 44,000 little bricks mm. and get and arrange them in a way that people can recognize the structure that they form, you know, in toto. So we mm. did a piece about Ukraine's prayer breakfast yeah, I saw that uh, last week. And my hope is that if we do enough pieces, enough articles that are that 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 zoom in, right? And be like, oh, let's look at this part and then this part. And people began to realize, oh, it's the same everywhere you look. Mm-hmm. Right. These are people who are, it's, it's not just people who pray. That's not what this is. It's not just people who like Jesus. It's not just Christians. It's not um, Protestants. It's specifically dominated by this, as you say, dominionist brand Mm -hmm. of evangelical Christian, a lot of whom actually, they're like the Protestants of Protestant Protestantism. Mm -hmm. They, in, in Protestantism, a lot of people still have a church right? They still sure. respect some degree of theological authority, even if they don't ascribe to it the same, uh, you know, divine infallibility of the Catholic Church, but there's still some semblance of accountability, right? In the, the Fellowship Foundation's version is really like the Protestantism of Protestant, Protestantism. They're just like, you know, whatever you think, man, It's Mm. all good. You don't really need the Bible. You don't even need most of the New Testament. You know, definitely there are some books in there you should check out. But for the most part, if you have a relationship with Jesus, go for it. Like, you want to tell me that Mike Lindell has read the Bible? Are you out of your mind? Like, come on. (laughs) Parts of it, maybe. (laughs) But what's he, right, sure. I'm sure parts of it, Sure. right? But so what's he actually being led by? He's being led by the people around him and whatever his impulse in, in that random synaptic moment happens to be. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true. And then that's, that's again, go back to that dominionist piece. I think if you have a strategic vision for winning those key men, key women, what you believe they're not really all that concerned about because off the back of the family, I went and looked up some of Doug Coe's sermons. They play some clips of it. I don't know if you've yeah. seen that, but it was on YouTube Yep, and he, you know, there. it's really vague in terms of kind of like the Jesus plus nothing thing. Hey, yeah. if you just believe in Jesus in air quotes or whatever, right. that's close enough. But the right. fact is we agree on a strategic vision that seems to be more important for this dominionist agenda. That's what kind of scared me about reading Jeff Charlotte's stuff. And and my my take on that is kind of like, as I was saying, is that if all you're doing is saying, you know what, your impulses are cool because they must be given to you by God, mm. then sort of like our worst, our worst id, right? Uh, ID, id, our id mm-hmm. is, is going to lead us to do bad things, right? Mm. And, you know, to say, well, marriage is wrong and God, uh, excuse me, same-sex marriage is wrong and God doesn't want it. So we, we should probably kill you, right? You know, if, yeah. if there's no check and there's no logic that anyone's being asked to impose on it, it's just purely whatever you think, take that to the limit. That's authoritarianism. That's theocracy. That's dominionism. So you don't mm-hmm. even have to believe in the specific tenets as long as you're unleashing this, this id and ennobling it as doing the work of Jesus then you're going to get these dictators doing whatever mm-hmm. they want. Exactly. Well, and as you say, that, that's that dominionist angle again, because 
if you go back to R.J. Rushduni, the founder of Christian Reconstructionism, I mean, he was the first one that really articulated the dominion theology sort of tenets. And his idea was, look, the best society in the world would have to be uh, an imposition of Old Testament law on all of society, because that right. would be a not only a theocracy, but it should usher in some sort of a utopia. <laughs> and that was kind of his argument. And he went through and said, look, we need to impose Old Testament law. And if that's if that means stoning of gays and incorrigible teens and whatever right. else, well, that, that's what the Bible teaches. Right. So I think you see those traits and slivers of Rush Dooney and, and that sort of Christian Reconstructionism shot through organizations like the family, although they'll never admit uh, that they follow any of his stuff. But a lot of his stuff has influenced the Christian right, for sure. That's well, been well documented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting you put it that way, because there is this, the, the idea of intercession, right? Yeah. The idea that God will intervene in response to prayers, it sort of, it sort of leads, once you accept that, then the Old Testament scenario that you're talking about makes sense, right? Because if you believe you're doing God's will, mm -hmm. then the specific results of it do not matter, because once you please God, if you believe that he'll intervene, then once you please him, then boom, magically you get a utopia, mm -hmm. right? Any, any other political theory, you have to explain cause and effect. If you have these policies, it leads to utopia because X, Y, Z. In this one, it's literally deus ex machina, right? Yeah. Right? You, you do what God wants, and then a miracle occurs. Yeah. Right? It's like that cartoon. And then a miracle occurs, and boom, utopia. Why? Because you're doing what God wants, so he's going to exactly. help you out. Well, and that's the thing, isn't it? Looking at right now, for example, the Texas abortion law, maybe maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the family, but the Christian nationalist piece, I think with the, that's what I hear you articulating. I think that's what's driving a lot of the anti-LGBTQ agenda, as well as the anti-abortion laws, because their logic is, look, America was founded as a Christian nation. We need to return to it again. It has right. de it's departed from that from that path. Right. So the best thing to do is to outlaw things like abortion, which they've just done in Texas, right. and to fight against the so-called quote unquote gay agenda and to ban that same-sex marriages and all the rest of it. If we can do that, we will return to being a Christian nation and God will bless us and we'll be in a utopia. So that's the right. line of logic that that yeah. somehow they get there. Yeah. And and by the way, they also think those specific things are wrong. Now, exactly. It, you can't always tell externally how much of that arises from their belief in the Old Testament or biblical inerrancy, mm -hmm. and how much of that is due to their own, you know, personal inclinations towards LGBTQ people or or women generally. You know, but it doesn't matter as long, if you're willing to make it public policy. The answer uh, has got to be no, no. Exactly. Not, do not, that. not for the rest of us. Right. <laughs> I but don't I do want to live in a theocracy. Right, but I do think there's. You know, it's politically difficult. It's a politically lot more difficult to take on white Christian nationalism than it is mm -hmm. to take on white nationalism. There's a uh, yeah. some of the reporting we did after the Maria Butina stuff, right? She was the one who used the prayer breakfast to get to Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked to a former CIA guy who said that foreign operatives love religious charities because one, the nonprofit world is very opaque. They don't have to disclose a lot, so you mm -hmm. can do a lot with them. But also, too, the religious aspect is essentially like, like poison to law enforcement. And the FBI, police, no one wants to go anywhere mm -hmm. near anything that's got even the vaguest patina of religiosity around it. So that's, so that, not surprisingly, that's going to be the most toxic reading ground sure. for this stuff because that's where no one's checking it. It's a great avenue. And from what I know about the prayer breakfast, it's not even so much the main session that everybody wants to be. It's those breakout sessions. That's the key. That's where all the networking happens. That's where all the, the backroom deals go down. Isn't that what you found in your research? Certainly, I think um, Jeff Charlotte wrote about that aspect yeah. of, of, of that. The, the main event, of course, is just sitting there and listening to speeches. So. Yeah. I suspect a lot of people come for that to be in the same room as the president of the yeah. United States. That's a cool thing. But to your point, like, quote unquote, the work gets done in these break off sessions or in yeah. the, the dinners the night before that that kind of thing. The New York Times had an article, which I read 
several years ago talking about how lobbyists, it's a bazaar for lobbyists. Yeah. And that's one aspect of the work. But then there are other, um, there is other work that gets done. And some of that's more explicitly religious in nature, right? Mike Lindell, he got, he got the works, right? That, that, and he that, did. He got the full treatment. Happened. Yeah, on, in, uh, at multiple sessions one of the one of the family friends insider isn't quite right one of the family uh friends who was actually ben carson's campaign manager he told me that he had a separate session with uh mike lindell and lindell in his book says you know that session and the other session that he had with carson and others you know sort of like opened my eyes mm. to, to the reality of politics it's like Look well yeah, well, and it opened your eyes to their reality of politics, mm -hmm. but that's why that's why it's a problem that the prayer breakfast is not nonpartisan, is not nonsectarian, because in these breakout sessions, you're only going to get one view. You're not getting the advertised full mm -hmm. spectrum of, of views from around the world. Mm. And it's got to be an intoxicating, heady thing, isn't it? When you're invited by someone who's as you say, in, an insider to the corridors of power, they could get you access to the president. They could get you access to senators, congressmen, congresswomen. That's got to be an intoxicating thing, you know. So you could see where it could suck a person in, and you're like, "Well, actually, I'm I am pretty special," <laughs> you know. It's I've been so invited to this prayer breakfast. That's right. It's so intoxicating that Mike that the only way Mike Glendale can explain it is through divine intervention. Right. He it's literally the work of God. Yeah, he literally his book is called What are the Odds? Because he literally can when he cannot come up with an explanation for these crazy things that have happened in his life, his inability to explain it leaves only one explanation and that is that Jesus Christ the son of God has decided that Mike Lindell needs to go to this prayer breakfast, that meeting with Trump, meet yeah. Ben Carson on a plane like Jesus Christ is working out this agenda yeah. and this itinerary for Mike Lindell's next few months. Right. Couldn't be a coincidence. Had to be a well, divine appointment. But it wasn't coincidence. Exactly. I would argue. That's the it key. It turns out, right. It turns out that the family was making yeah. some of these things happen. They orchestrated it. So he was like a puppet on a string in a sense, wasn't he? Not and even, that's what he doesn't understand. And not even consciously. They don't necessarily even have to have a plan, mm -hmm. but it's like, one of them says, oh, here's a rich guy. I'm going to see if I can build a relationship with him by bringing him to the breakfast. Then another one comes in from another room and says, oh, who is this person? I think I'll be friends with him. You know what? I think I should recommend him to someone else. Mm. No individual part of the machine has to have a big blueprint. It Each just one, works. It just works. Yeah, well, right? they know, how, they know how, to, how to make it work. That's that yeah. strategic networking, relationship building into the corridors of power, off we go. Well, listen, I know it's been about an hour. We should probably wrap this up. How can people find you and how can people find this article series you're doing on the family? So I'm at JT Larson on Twitter, just J-T-L-A-R-S-E-N. Mm -hmm. And um, on, uh, on, online for our articles, you can go to tyt.com slash investigates. And we've mm -hmm. got a, a nice landing page right up top that that sort of aggregates all of our work on this. Mm -hmm. I've seen that. Yeah, it's got some really good. You've done some excellent work on the family. And I hope that, well, you're going to keep doing more investigative reporting. I'm really excited to see where this thing ends up going. Thanks so much. Me too. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Jonathan. I absolutely enjoyed talking to you. And I'm sure we will definitely be speaking again. Thanks so much, Mike. I hope so.